0: Do you have a plan for your business? Do you have a growth plan? Is there something that you're avoiding? You know, instead of doing the thing that you know you need to do, you're doing something else. Well, that's common because we as human beings love to avoid pain. Today, I am bringing on a guest. Her first name is Sally, and she has a unbelievable background, a variety of things, and has started building businesses at the age of 11. She just didn't realize what she was actually doing at the age of 11, but through the years has really fine-tuned it. And that's what she does for entrepreneurs today. No matter what you are, a service or a product business, stick around for this interview because it is so damn juicy. Let's get on to the show. You're listening to Be In Demand, Sally, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I know I know a lot about you. Um, you have such an interesting background, but everybody who's listening doesn't. Give us like a little cliff notes of who you are.
1: Uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. I love talking to you about all the things. Oh, so nice. thank you. Who am I? Well, I <laughs> am a really... Diverse, strange mixed bag. I am a Latina who grew up mostly in the States. And I always joke that I started my first business when I was 11. And I've kind of been in business, in the business of starting businesses or creating things and turning them into businesses, you know, for a very, very long time. Um, And I've had a lot of businesses throughout my life. And then I've also been a COO to tech startups. And I've been a head coach to a coaching firm until leaving that firm to create my own consulting and coaching firm. So that's a really, really short cliff notes for-
0: <laughs> And we'll we'll dive more into that. But what I what I I love about your diverse background is like. A lot of people might think that's too diverse, but wow, do your clients, excuse me, do your clients benefit from you having so many different life experiences? And we'll dive more into those. Yeah. Are you ready to leverage speaking as your best form of marketing? There are over 7,500 events looking for speakers every single day. Speaking positions you as the expert in the room, but you probably don't know where to start. So I created this great resource called the Directory of Places to Speak. This resource will help you get started today. So head on over to speakandstandout.com forward slash directory to grab your free copy now. Don't miss this opportunity to be the expert speaking to audiences filled with your ideal clients we we'll like we'll like keep everybody in suspense on what those different experiences are but i'm super curious what was that business that you started at 11
1: oh um so i really wanted to study ballet and by 11 that's considered too late to start but i was like okay i don't care i really want to study ballet I hadn't got been able to get my parents to enroll me into ballet because it was too expensive. And I knew it wasn't going to be an option for me. So I decided to start a babysitting business because I wrote the I read the Babysitters Club books and I was like, I can do this. And but I what I didn't realize is I actually started a full-on business. So I actually got two of my older friends because I was 11. I got two of my older friends who were slightly, they were Brazilian twins and they were more developed and they looked older. I got them involved and we went door to door for a whole weekend in, in our two neighborhoods and we sold door to door different babysitting services. But once we had closed, they helped me close. So they were my closers. Once we'd closed a few families, it was always me that would show up and do the work. Because after that weekend, it was like this fun thing that we did for a weekend. They were like, okay, peace out. We're done. Who wants to actually do the work? And I was like, no, no, I need the money. I want to do the work. <laughs> so then I would be the one who showed up. And some of those, and then I created a whole business around it. So I would create these like weekend day retreats for the kids and people would drop off their kids at my house. I had a trampoline in my backyard and my mom and I would put together this whole like day retreat for kids in the summer so that the parents could go and do errands without their kids. Um, And I had certain families that I babysat since I was 11 to the age of 18. Like later on in my life, as I got my driver's license and started driving these kids around, one of my clients was like, wait a minute, if you're just now getting your license. That means I gave you my baby, my one-year-old baby when you were 11. And I was like, "Mm, yep. (laughs) Um, But the cool thing is that I always made my own money. I always worked and I went and signed myself up for that first ballet class. They actually, I rode my bike to the nearest dance studio, like a little Dolly Dingle dance studio. I signed myself up for ballet summer camp. I didn't even have a leotard, didn't own ballet shoes. And they had to call my mother because I didn't have an adult with me. And they had to make sure she had to come down and sign the authorization form. And my mom was, of course, like, Sally, what have you done? I was like, Oh, I signed up for ballet with my money. Like in my mind, I was like, I paid for it. So, but then of course my mom had to like, take me to a studio, you know, a store and buy a leotard and tights and ballet shoes. Cause I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't even know what to buy. Um, so that was my first business. I, I ended up getting into a performing arts high school and I ended up getting my first BA in modern dance and I became a professional dancer. So I was very dedicated to that, like, I want to be a dancer. I also bought my own car when I was in high school um, with the money from my business that I ran. So that was a very early lesson for me. My parents were very hardworking, but I also was like, oh, I can run my own business and make money and do the things I want to do in life. seemed like a kind of obvious no-brainer to me.
0: That's so interesting. I mean, 11 years old, you recruited friends to help you close the deals. I recruited a sales team. <laughs> you a sales team. I mean, that's like, like, where did you come up with that? This is what I'm fascinated. Where did you get this idea? I don't know. That's the
1: weird thing where I was like, in retrospect, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was onto something. I'm not great at sales. So I recruited a sales team that cracks me up you know? So yeah, I I don't know where I got that idea. I was, you know what it is? Like all good entrepreneurs, I was driven towards the end goal. And the end goal was I want to be in ballet and I want to take ballet and I'm not going to be a victim to my parents' financial situation. And it's not their fault. And I wasn't angry with them at all. I was just like, I want to be ballet and that was bigger to me than the in the moment details of how i'm going to get there and that's that's, so that's true for all entrepreneurs right it's like yeah what's the bigger picture why are you doing what you're doing you have to have a driver and a motivator that excites you and that lights you up so that the day to day doesn't become your world
0: so i really like that and because i think too many times What I see in the online space is that we're so focused on, I need the clients. I need the clients. How do I get the clients? Versus like, you know, you had your goal. I want to be in ballet school. I want to take these lessons. Well, what can I do? Like, what can I, how can I serve people that will get me the money so that I can pay for the ballet lessons You know, and I think that's hilarious that then they called your mother and like, um, your daughter's here. (laughs) We need
1: somebody to sign. Totally. But I did, I did stuff like that as a kid. Also, I bought a dog from a dog breeder without telling my mother. And then like, you know, six months later when the dog was born, my mom got a call and was like, your dog's ready to be picked up. And she's like, no, no, no. I did not order a dog. You have the wrong number. And he's like, nope, I have the right number. And I actually had used her name. So he's like, Maria at 276-0253, you know, that's still my childhood phone number. And so she, of course, like, she was just like, Sally, what did you do? And I was like, oh yeah, I bought a dog. I forgot to tell you I six months ago. I and I did buy the dog and my mother is so awesome that we did pick up the dog and I Bought a Siberian Husky because I was like a little nerdy researcher kid and had researched that was the dog I wanted. And I did have a Siberian Husky growing up because I bought it with my money.
0: <laughs> for you, so you've just always been like I'm. D- d- just to use your words that you used earlier, like I'm not going to be a victim. Here's what I want, and I know that I need the money to get there. So you just sound like like you were very creative. As a young child, like how do I how do I solve this problem? Yes,
1: totally. And now, ironically, all I do is just solve problems for my clients, right? Like that's just yes, what I mean. yes, which is fun because it's innately a part of who I am.
0: So, what would you say, like, of all your past experiences and jobs working for other people, because you've also been a COO, like, which one would you say? Was the, like, I'm so glad I did that because, like, I got so much from it.
1: You know, I got so much from every single business I've had. I mean, I was a professional tango dancer and professional tango teacher. And I always joke with my clients that I learned how to coach thanks to teaching tango. Because tango is such a hard dance to learn that you have to find really clever, creative ways To teach something heady to somebody and then then they have to embody it. So I had to learn that not everybody hears the same thing the same way. So I'd Mm -hmm. had to like start telling stories and metaphor and analogies just to get somebody to do something. I learned about the psychology of people through teaching tango. Um, But I think that the business I, in my twenties, I moved back to Argentina to study fashion design as my second degree. And I started a fashion line.
0: And I think I just want to add a little sarcasm. Of course you did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. And God, I always <laughs> joked in the middle of people. I was like, that's so cool. You were really young and you have your own. I mean, I literally ran my fashion line by day and was dancing tango at
0: night Good for you
1: as tango is a nighttime activity. Um, <clears throat> I also never drank in my life because that's the cool thing about the tango scene is that it's such a dance that takes so much focus that there's no like drinking and drugs in that scene because everybody's like, it's midnight, but everybody's really awake and really focused. It's such an interesting. Nice, nice. Um, But that business, I literally soup to nuts had built it. I would draw a drawing. I would then create the pattern. I would then create the sample. I would sew the sample. I would fix the sample. I would perfect it. I would then take the pattern the sample to a seamstress or to a mini factory. I eventually created my own little seamstress team. I would then take photos of it. I would market it. I would make flyers about my brand. I eventually had a little shop. I eventually had vendors all over the world. I built a full on supply chain business, soup to nuts from beginning to end. And so I understand the whole what I call the conveyor belt of your business. Because a lot of times we were talking about business where we were being coached on business and people focus on just mindset or just marketing. A lot of people just focus on more marketing, more marketing, more marketing, more marketing, or just sales, 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 and how to sell. But like I understood, luckily, from that experience that to run a business, there is this whole accordion there's all these different departments that need to be interwoven and talk to each other for it to work. And it worked because I, unfortunately, was the leader of every department. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. business totally ran me into the ground
0: mm-hmm.
1: for sure. And I had a lot of tough lessons that I learned from that. But then when I went on to get an MBA after that, and I worked for startups, I started to see the breakdown in startups and even in corporate because the departments weren't talking to each other. yeah. And so that's kind of how I coach is thanks to having started that business and then worked in startups, tech startups, um, health and wellness startups. And then I've worked in corporate sales and brand partnerships because I understand supply chain. So I've had really interesting professional experiences, but the way I coach and teach is from watching where businesses break down. And a lot of times our natural... This happens in startup, and this happens in corporate, and this happens for entrepreneurs. Our natural mm-hmm. inclination is to, to kind of just turn a blind eye to what's not working. Right. I agree. And we're just going to do more marketing. Yes. Like, oh, that at, that guy, he's selling me the solution because he's going to teach me another marketing hack. I'm going to do it. Okay. No. Oh, I'm just going to keep like not looking at... I know something's not working, but I'm just going to keep not looking at it because we naturally avoid pain. It's a human trait. We, Our brains are wired to avoid pain, fear, discomfort. And so we naturally don't look at the full breadth of our business. We don't look at that full conveyor belt because we're actually wired that way. There's nothing wrong with us. We're wired to avoid the things we feel like we're not good at. We're wired to like not look at that department that doesn't work well or that employee that's not employing well, you know? And so that's how I coach is like, there's a lot more to your business than just doing more marketing. The answers are not in just attracting more leads. There's just a lot more going on. And what I try to do is I try to make approaching that conveyor, but I try to make it fun and easy and like pain. Uh, I'm I'm sure
0: that you do make it fun. I already know this about you. I mean, you know, Fashion designer by day, tango dancer by night. I mean, that's also a very full life.
1: It's very funny um, when you say it like that. I'm like, oh yeah, that is kind of funny.
0: <laughs> um, oh God, there are like so many questions that that, that, that I would want to ask you. So how did you naturally like bridge? Because I know that like you've, you know, you've worked for startups. So you're working for other people and their dreams so how did you come in back into the, this entrepreneurial world and working with, you know, coaches, consultants, I'm sure that there's yeah. a of people that you help.
1: Absolutely. I, I was a COO at a tech startup and to be honest, what had happened was I did, a I worked really hard the first two years and then the team was humming and working we had closed, a, I helped close a partnership content, a seven-figure content deal that had everything humming and working. So I'd, I closed this huge deal. We'd created a team around that deal. Everything was working, but, and then the board made, took a decision that their focus was going to be to sell the product. So my role as basically a COO, when I became a COO originally, I was like, oh, I run everything and the growth strategy is on me. So first of all, that was freaky. So I had to get really comfortable. I had to figure out like, oh, growth. I don't get to just create systems and manage the team and like make everything run. They're also asking me, what is our growth plan? That's not on the CEO, by the way, that's often on the COO. And I was like, oh crap, (laughs) I just want to run the team and run the systems. So that, and so I'd done that and I created a way to create growth. We created growth. We closed some seven figure deals. And then the board was like, we're focused on just make, I was just making pitch decks all day long to just try to sell, which was really honestly boring to me because I'm a builder. I'm a like, what's next? What are we building? What are we creating? What are we doing? So I started kind of coaching and consulting people on the side. I had people, I would go to networking events and meet people and I'd be like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Do this. And they'd be like, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, I don't, because I've been building businesses for a long time. So I started kind of coaching other businesses that I would meet on the side, kind of advising, consulting for free, sometimes fun. I met a consultant and he was a sales consultant that we had worked with. And I was like, gosh, his he was high ticket. He charged us 20K to put together one strategy and present it to us in one session. And I was like, what? This dude charged us 20K for this? Like, I could have done that. So my brain started kind of going, oh, coaching and consulting. And then COVID happened. And so then I was like, the business I'd helped build, I was it was kind of humming along and working.
0: So do you, do you get bored easily? You I say? guess I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's I almost do. like, well, I like your skill set. Like I get this humming and rolling, and it's almost like it's working on its own. And, then and I'm like, next. like is, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like that, that's the feeling that, like, what else can I do? Yes, it was definitely like, well, what do I do now? But also, the truth was, oh, if they do sell,
1: what do I do? Right. I don't know if I want to stay on as a COO of a company I helped build, but that will be now owned by somebody I don't know. So it was also kind of in my back of my mind, like, what are you going to do next? So I started coaching on the side. I created a little mini course before I even knew courses were, that were a thing because I wasn't in the online space at all. And it was called Smooth Operator because I kept getting asked the same questions. And my rule of thumb is if you're getting asked the same questions over and over again, teach it. Right mm-hmm. in one set in one sitting. Um, I created this mini course. I think I ran it twice. I was introduced to some guys who had written a book and who had a coaching company. I was introduced to them. We were talking, and then the guy was like, Oh, you know, you know your stuff. We're actually trying to hire a head coach because our head of fulfillment is the head of fulfillment and he's also in charge of the coaches and he's at capacity. Do you want to apply and go into the running. And so I was like, that sounds fun. And at the time I was trying to get pregnant. And so I was like, yeah, I don't really want to build my own business right now because I know what that takes. So I applied and it was a really rigorous application process and testing process. I think I went through like seven interviews and testing, Mm -hmm. Um, but I got the job. And so I was a head coach for a coaching company for two years. And that's how I got translated everything I had done into teachings and frameworks. And I
0: coached clients, but I also coached the coaches and that was really fun. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Um, so, so what's one of your favorite things about working with entrepreneurs?
1: I, my favorite thing is that I think that entrepreneurs have chosen a harder road to
0: life. Let's just isn't that isn't that the truth? It's like I'm Trying to just so call crazy. it like it is. There's a lot of
1: people trying to out here trying to tell you that it's super easy and sparkly and you know <laughs> yachts and rented cars and photos and all this stuff. But I think what I love about entrepreneurs is that you've actually consciously made this decision to get off the fast, get off the easy lane where your life is kind of decided for you, and and the next step is predictable. And you might have to deal with corporate BS and but you've decide you've made this decision to get off that lane and go into the jungle and go into the unknown and i just love that i love that about those people who because i am a rebel and i do that and i've done it so much and i've done it so many times that i just love being the guide who's kind of like here let me get the machete let me like well, let me whack that down for you let me just clear the path for you like that's how i see myself and that's what i think i do like, don't worry i have a machete i got you and that's what I do. Is like you traipsing through this jungle could take you ten years. Let me shave a few years off for you. And that's I feel like I am like the guide. And that's depth, what you do. Or the guide in the jungle? Like, no, no, no! Don't do that. Don't touch that. Put that away. Nope, nope, nope. Don't get that rope. Nope. We're gonna go this way. Like, and that's what I think I do because I I have a deep admiration for anyone who chooses to get off the like HOV lane and like walk. <laughs> And I think that that's what we do as entrepreneurs. And so I'm like, how do I make this easier on you and shorten the path and like make it funny and light and, and love, you know, love right. filled because right. it's a hard, it is a hard,
0: you've chosen an uncharted course and yes, it is hard. And you know, the, when I was speaking in leadership and corporate engagement, you know, the word leadership comes from, um, or it comes from what breaks down to the definition of Pathfinder you know? Ooh. Yeah. So it's, you know, like you with the machete, you were le- you were being that leader for people and just like, no, 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 not that way. I'm making the path right here. Yeah. Now Earlier you talked about like how it's so easy because we like to avoid pain, which is so true for us humans. Um, And that as entrepreneurs, we like to turn a blind eye, as you put it to the thing, you know, and like, let me go do other things instead, like to keep me looking busy because I'm building my business. What is this thing that's over here that we're turn that you find? And I'm sure it's different for different people, but for the most part, like, is there like a couple of common things that these entrepreneurs are turning the blind eye to?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few common ones. So different for different ones because it's based on wherever your strength is and where you feel comfortable. And where you enjoy spending time is where you're going to spend time. And then your pain points are usually in these areas. It's either in the numbers. So it's either you don't actually like looking at numbers. You haven't set numbers goals. So you're like, you ha- you're have you not sure. You maybe have a lot of, you haven't done an offer evaluation. So you don't know which one is your irresistible offer. Or you don't know if it's priced at a profitable rate. You don't have a pricing strategy that maybe makes sense. You don't know how many you have to sell to hit your goal. You might say, I want to make 500K this year, but you don't actually have a mapped out numbers plan of how you're going to get there. So some people don't look at the numbers and just say, I want to make 500K and then wonder why they don't get there. Um, And then the surprising one for some people is I notice this a lot. So I'm going to bring it up because I don't think a lot of business coaches are talking about it enough. And maybe it's This is a real blind spot. There's something in business called product market fit. This is old school business. And product market fit means that I've created a product for a certain person. And that person actually has the pain point that the product solves. And that person wants and needs the product and they're willing to pay for it. So I've created a product for a market and that market wants and has that pain enough that they want to pay for the product. And we skip the product market fit stage. Because in order to really get product market fit right, you got to ask for feedback. And the thing is, everybody's baby is the cutest. You don't go up to people and go, isn't my baby so cute? Like, right. Like you, you don't really want to know. You're just (laughs) going, you don't want people's feedback, but with business with, to get product market fit, right. And my, I always say it takes two to three years to actually get your product market fit, right. You actually have to interview your clients. You have to interview um, your customers. You have to interview the people who didn't buy from you and why they didn't you, you have to, do a lot of market research to figure out if your messaging and positioning is actually reaching them and if they understand what you do and who you are. This is a um, a phase of feedback that is uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable. Like when you've built a thing and you've created a thing, you just want people to love it and buy it. And it's a really uncomfortable process to have somebody actually give you feedback.
0: Right. Because so there's also that well, I have to ask them, I have to ask this person who didn't buy from me, why they didn't buy from me. And then, yeah, I take that in as feedback. You know, the funny thing is, is I tell um, my clients that if you, when you're pitching yourself to speak, whether you get the position or not the booking, you know, you should ask why, why did you decide to hire me? Why yeah. didn't you decide?
1: That's a good reminder for me because I don't think about that
0: for when pitching myself to
1: speak. So, thank you for
0: that. You're welcome. Because you will find out, and it can be something as simple as, oh, the way that you sent the information in, we wanted it in three bullets and not five bullets. Like, you know, it can be something as simple as that. But you're not going to know unless you ask. And you're right, it is very uncomfortable. to ask and take. And I'd like to just look at it as like, it's just, it's just information. It's just data.
1: It's information. And that's something that I teach in my program, (laughs) grown ass business, by the way, is the name of my program. Um, it's, it's information, but it takes some training and it takes understanding ourselves and our business. And it takes some understanding of our mindset to be able to even take it as data. And so that's a journey in itself, but I do the same thing. I ask anytime somebody doesn't join my program or doesn't work with me, I ask them, please give me feedback. I, you will not hurt my feelings. <laughs> like you will not hurt my feelings. Be as direct as possible. And recently a lot of times people don't respond because that makes them uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, but recently somebody did respond. And she was so harsh. And my assistant read the email and was like, ah oh, but this and but that, and I was like, no, this is the best email I've ever gotten. I should print it out and put it on the wall. She was really, really harsh, but I really appreciated that she took the time to give me her, whether she's right or not, it was her perspective and her experience of me and my explaining of my program. And all I can do is take that information and be better. Yeah. Right? And, and it, it does take a level of resiliency and understanding that that's just data. And I was like, thank you so much for being this honest. I really appreciate you. How, what can I do for you in exchange? Cause like, I was like, this is great. This is, I'm, I am sh- I really need to print out that email and like put it on my wall because it's such a great reminder, you know? So um, it's one of the best skills that we can develop is understanding that it's not about our baby, it's just data and it's all here to make you better if you're willing to take it on in that way. And that's
0: one reminds, of speech. It reminds me of the book, um, "The Four Agreements." Of course, but don't take it personal. Don't yeah. take anything personal. It's just somebody else's perspective. You know, that's their reality. You know, yeah. but it wasn't. You know, like the other person who did buy from you. It's not their reality, so it's yeah. not. Everything's not black and white. Yeah, you know, there's lots of shades of gray.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So. Those are the two areas that I notice the most is we either have a real deep fear of the numbers and we think we can avoid them. And I understand that because that used to be me. People always think I'm a real numbers person. I'm like, ha, no, I spent the first nine years of my business ignoring the numbers. (laughs) That's why I passionately teach them because I used to ignore them too. Or we avoid actually trying to do doing the doing real research interviewing people, taking in real feedback. And I teach how to do this in my program, but even myself, what I've done is sometimes I've hired an external person to interview people in my program for feedback so that they could talk to somebody without having to look at me and give me feedback. Oh, that's brilliant. I I wanted honest, honest, honest feedback from them. And what was really cool was the person that I hired, who was a lovely, lovely copywriter and marketer, I was like, I don't want to know who said what. I don't want to know who. I really want it to be anonymous. I want them to feel safe and for them to know that it's anonymous. And she was like, oh, good, because I wasn't planning on telling you anyway. (laughs) And I was like, like, we're going to get along. Yes. And then I saw the, you know, I saw the answers and I was like, oh, I want to know who said that, you know, but it was really cool. I genuinely don't know. Um, so there's a lot of ways to make sure that you're getting real feedback about your marketing and your products and your services and how you're communicating them. But it's one of the
0: things we avoid. I think market research is so on the bottom of the list that people don't want to do. They don't think to do because I just want to do my craft. I just want to do my Thing And I can say for, I mean, I don't know how many interviews I've done for market research. Um, you and I might have to talk about questions again, or I might just have to have you come back on the show and talk about, like dive into market research. Cause I think it is so valuable.
1: Oh, it is an entire module in my foundations program, how to do it. Because when we, when you and I say market research, let's clarify for your audience, yes. we're not talking about Google data we're not talking about yep. generic avatar, how old is your person and what magazines do they read? And we're not talking about that. We're talking about, do you understand their deepest pains, frustrations? Do you actually have a product or tool or service that solves that pain? Do you know how to speak to their desires? Do you know them? Not. I don't care where they, I don't, it's not demographics, right? Market research to me is like, do you actually are you in enough contact and close proximity to your audience that you understand what they need and want? And are you the are you the right person? And do you have a product that actually
0: solves that problem? Yes. And it's about asking the right questions. Yes. And being super curious and hearing what they say and what they don't say so that you can just get more clarity with those questions. Um earlier <clears throat> when you were talking about your COO position and how they were expecting you also to not just um not just do the slide decks and um but you had to like do some sort of like visioning I think you did like the plan and oh, you I said it to, was so uncomfortable. I had to come up with the growth plan? <laughs> the growth plan. Thank you. Yeah. You were like I was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Didn't you get you know, how did you get comfortable with being uncomfortable?
1: Well, I think that is a special skill that I have, and that's something I try to teach. So I um, I I put myself in this situation where I got myself into the COO role, and then I found myself in front of a board who was like, oh, yeah, your job's also to tell us what the growth plan is here. What's your growth plan, dude? And I was like... <clears throat> But, you know, I had to go home and go, wait, this was the job I wanted. I mean, I like vied for this job. I convinced them that I was the person. So do you actually want to be a COO? And I loved being a COO, by the way. I love leading teams towards a goal. It's really fun for me. I love a challenge. So I got, went home and started researching. I was like, but but the uh, the discomfort comes from like, do you still want this? you always it's again it's always about the bigger vision
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> do you want it enough to come up against your discomfort and and dance with your discomfort and face your discomfort enough and step into the discomfort and figure out who are you on the other side of the discomfort mm-hmm. you have to want it enough and so i was like oh yeah i still want to be the ceo of this company mm-hmm. i believe in what the product is i believe in the mission i believe we can change the world with this mental health app. Um, so now I got to go learn about growth strategies. <laughs> and I went on a like research tirade, but then, you know, my corporate sales background that I, what I'd learned about numbers in my MBA, what I'd learned about numbers really in corporate sales. I start. I worked with our CFO to put together a plan. Like I just went into like full on nerdy, you just, you just here's a problem. It. I got to solve it. <laughs> and then I learned like, oh, I understand growth strategy.
0: Well, here's what I love about this story is, and the way that you explained it, is there's no victim mentality in there. You didn't go home and say, this is not the job that I interviewed for. Why are they throwing this on me now? It's not my job. You like, you were just like, oh, I really like this job. I fought for it. Now I'm going to go figure out how to do this growth stuff and (laughs) And just dive in and learn it. You just
1: made a really good point because it was unfair because there was a CEO and there was a founder and then there was me and I was an employee and they were not, they were equity shareholders Mm -hmm. and it should not have been put on my shoulders. You're right. It was unfair, but the board knew both of those people were not going to build a growth plan. Right. And they knew if they pressured me, I would. And they were right. I did. Okay. So that was their blind spot. Yeah. In a way. I, I mean, I actually think they, yeah, yeah. I mean, but honestly, the founder uh, of that company is great. And she was doing what a founder should do. She was an influencer. She was marketing. She was having conversations. She was networking. She was talking to VCs. She was like, she was in her sauce and the CEO, he was more of a CTO and he wasn't stepping up as a CEO. He wasn't being a leader of all the teams. He was more of a leading just the tech team. And so they were like, yeah, the whole growth strategy for the company, that's on you, boo. And I was <laughs> like, oh my God,
0: really? But but you're so, but i know that you're so grateful that that happened you've learned so many lessons
1: that was like probably one of the cool i learned a lot from that job and i had so much fun leading a team towards like big goals um but that was probably one of the coolest things i learned in that job was oh i understand growth strategy like i can build a growth strategy and and that changed me in my brain right that that experience meant i could build growth strategies for others and i believe in unique custom growth strategies because everyone's business is different, everyone's goals is different, and therefore you deserve to have a custom growth strategy built for your vision and your goals. By the way, I just got to drop that because
0: there is no cookie cutter growth strategy for none. Not nothing nothing is cookie cutter. Yeah. <laughs> not even when like I work with my clients are always like, well, how do we do? Like, I don't do cookie cutter because like my very first um, session with a private client is, is about the only session that I completely take over. You know, I want to know like all your habits favorite books how you met your husband i mean like because this is how i bring people's personalities into their speech and then help the humorist um because i have a humorous specialist who helps um, my clients punch up the humor in their speeches you know so i give him that information and then he'll he'll like he just we're gonna make it funny also but it's all about it's not cookie cutter it's not here's your opening you know middle and ending oh my gosh uh, yeah. what you know, speaking of lessons, what was your biggest lesson last year?
1: Oh, did you read my email? (laughs) (laughs) I just very openly shared like my biggest, hardest lessons last year. Um, I'm trying to remember, I'm remembering like number five and number six, and I can't remember what I said number one was.
0: We'll talk about five and six and I'm sure that'll spark your memory for them.
1: So here's what I will say. Um, For me, one of the biggest lessons was I can no longer be the CEO and the COO at the same time. Mm. Even I'm a great COO and I can get into the back end and I can fix things and I can lead teams and I can whip teams into place and I can train somebody and I can onboard somebody. I can no longer do that while I'm building a really big company. And I have a really big vision for my company, which I've shared publicly I can no longer hold those hats. So I can no longer hire junior people that need a lot of handholding and coaching. Mm -hmm. I have to hire people who are a little bit more skilled and trained and are on the ride with me. That was a painful lesson to learn because I kept hiring people that still needed a lot of coaching and handholding. I was like, Oh, I can do that. I've done that before. I don't have the bandwidth to do that anymore. So that was a real come up against my own ego moment. And Another one was, I'm a really good strategist, but sometimes when you are busy and overwhelmed and you receive a referral from a friend that you love and trust and or you admire or respect, there were a lot of situations where I took people's referrals and just went for something or did something or hired someone or joined a program or joined a networking group based off of a referral and not doing my full, like, due diligence and also my internal check-in that I teach Mm -hmm. my clients to do, which is like, do I really need this right now? Is this community group networking service, is this something that I actually need right now? And is it aligned with my goals this year and my strategy for this year? I didn't do that for myself. So I took people's referrals and spent money on things I didn't need to spend money. So even Mm -hmm. if somebody that you love and trust and respect refer something doesn't mean and because they've had a good experience with it doesn't mean it's good for you and it works for you and it works for you in your business right now what you're doing right now and that was a kind of a hard a surprising lesson because I try to be really careful about who I refer and what I refer Um and so I just noticed I got myself into certain things I was like I actually didn't need that, or that wasn't the right service I wanted for that. So do your due diligence, do your gut check, know your strategy. And sometimes that may be a great service, but it's not aligned with the strategy you're living out right now this year.
0: And I think that's so valuable to always look back, you know, to move forward. I mean, I know that like, there's lots of you know, memes out there that say, don't, don't try moving through life, like looking through the rear view mirror. But I think there's so much value in what's in the rear view mirror. What lessons can I learn so that I don't do them again?
1: That's why I shared them publicly too. Cause I was like, learn from mine, please make your own. Cause you're going to make your own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also shared them publicly to kind of acknowledge, Hey, you're going to see that I'm not going to do these things. Another really big one was I discounted my program to a certain community that I'm in, I discounted it to that pe- to those people. And I put in this email, no more discounts. I'm not doing it. I don't care how much I know you and love you and like you. The reason is because I watched people do my program and because they got it so on the cheap, in my opinion, they kept doing other programs, other courses, other things, and kept, I watched them afterwards keep spinning out in confusion. And, and I think, Had you had to have paid the investment that it is to do the program, which I still think is underpriced, honestly, um, for what you get, had you had to pay the full price, you might have actually fully shown up for every session and every personal training and every moment, you would have like really paid attention because you would have been like, oh, I paid 3K for this, right? Um, And so I noticed like my wanting to serve and help people hindered me and hindered them. And so I've put, I put in this email very publicly, no more discounting. Uh, I, I'm going to be in more service to you by not giving you a discount.
0: discounting. Oh, I love that. And it's so true. It is so true. When things are too inexpensive, too cheap, people don't do the work. They don't show up. Then they didn't get the value that they wanted. And it's all because you didn't pay attention because you didn't pull out your credit card more. Yes. So what are you excited about this year?
1: Um, I am really excited about my, my growth strategy that I've built. I'm excited to be super focused on what I'm building. I'm excited on this, this potential partnership that I'm working on to building my CEO control center into, um, software, but to get Mm -hmm. it into more entrepreneurs hands. And I'm just excited to really walk my talk and be laser focused on the, the business I'm
0: building. Oh, this is wonderful. I can hardly wait. And everybody should make sure that they follow you so that they can see that you are on your growth. So by the way, can you just share with people like how they can find you, where yeah. they can find you, where they can follow you, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, really easy. My website is grownassbusiness.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Selly Grows Business. And that will all be down in
0: the show notes. Super easy.
1: <laughs> um, Yeah. Very easy. Those are the two places to find me. You can go to my quiz to understand where your business is at on its growth journey. So you know what you need to focus on. That's also on my Instagram and linked on my website. So it's very easy to find, but it's com.
0: Yes, definitely go take that quiz and learn what strategy or, you know, like what, what, uh, where you are. in your your growth and go follow her. She is so brilliant. She is so fun. As you got a taste here during this, she's a great storyteller. Um, so just go coming
1: from you. I take that as a huge compliment.
0: (laughs) Yes, you are a great storyteller. So until next week, go and be in demand. Thanks for hanging out with me